Hello, and welcome to the Better Relationship Podcast. I'm your host, Dolphin Casper, and I'll be exploring interesting, exciting conversations with people who have stories, solutions, and expertise to help you in your journey towards richer and more meaningful relationships in your life. Hello there, and welcome to the RelationPlix Podcast. Thank you for joining us. I'm honored and excited to have our guest on today, Jessica Osterday. I met Jessica, I think, a ye- maybe two years ago, something in that neighborhood, uh, we've had a chance to uh, speak and then interact a few times in in our kind of collaborative relationship, her being a part of the relationships platform. Um, she's a trauma-informed coach and has been involved in the healing arts for almost 20 years now, uh, exploring all sorts of different approaches and modalities. And, um, and she brings a particular style or a particular modality of working with people called brain spotting, which we're going to get into. And in particular, if you're someone who has uh, a relationship with fear and anxiety that doesn't support you feeling at home in yourself and really fully expressed in your life, this podcast is for you. Jessica, thank you for joining us. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm really honored to be here. Yeah, sweet. So, you know, I think maybe just a little bit about you and and maybe why this work with people around fear and anxiety uh, is so relevant for you, why you feel so passionate and inspired to do this work. Well, so for me, I'm a feeler. I've, I'm, I'm highly, highly intuitive, and I have been since quite young. Um, well, there's the, the family stories, right, are, are from very early on of just understanding and knowing things and being really connected to other people's feelings and experiences of life in their internal world. Um, and so for me, my passion with helping people with really difficult emotions is born out of my own experience of being an HSP, highly sensitive person, and my own experience of being an intuitive and an empath. So some of the struggles that go along with that are struggles that I learn and am always learning through, right, at the deeper, more nuanced level of existence on this planet, which include, you know, feelings of of being stuck in that sense of perfectionism, being stuck in the, the guilt and disappointment cycles that come through, um, and also that sort of generalized anxiety when we feel triggered and stuck and confused. I think those are the key words that I often hear people say that kind of trap them in these cycles and in those shame spirals where it's like we don't know how to quite fix ourselves out of that really uncomfortable deep pain that just keeps kind of turning around because it was triggered by something and we feel lost and scared and confused and just you know it's like the option at that point is just to keep trying to fix it or shut down and and I have just a tremendous amount of compassion for that and the, the good news is that we can actually like find resources to help deal with it so that's not the cycle that gets that we're trapped in any longer we have other ways through so that's sort of that's my passion because of my own healing process that I've you know had uh, many many skilled healers and gifted uh, humans help walk me through that process of attunement with them and healing with them so that I can offer that attunement to myself and ultimately that's any any healing work that we do any healing work that we do is actually that right learning how to offer ourselves ourselves the um the sense of being able to sit with that really deep deep stuff you know and ha- and trust ourselves in the capacity to meet it there it's really powerful 
Totally. Yeah. I, I mean, I think of the, the, the saying or the kind of cliche, you know, our trauma is our dharma. We, we have these difficulties we've experienced and, and life really calls us. And we, we, I think we're naturally innately drawn to not only our own pieces, like that's what our pain that arises is, is calling us to our own healing, but, yeah. but it then seems to inevitably call us to bring what we've healed to others. So, so beautiful that that's been a part of your world. I just wanted to actually bring a piece from your website forward because it, it, I think it's a good place for us to start, especially okay. in the fact that we're talking about trauma. So, you know, you quote a Gabor Mate on, on your about page, which I, I love. I love his work. I love how he speaks. Really, um, isn't so he like a living saint? He's so amazing. <laughs> I really enjoy him. So, so on your website, it says, you know, a leading trauma expert, Gabor Mate, saying, Every human being has a true, genuine, authentic self, and their trauma is the disconnection from it. Um, and then it goes on to say, the healing is the reconnection with it. Trauma is not the things that happen to us, but what happens inside of us as a result of what happened to you. And so, you know, like th th that reframing is, is really, I mean, there's a lot there. So maybe we can start with kind of unpacking that a little bit. Like, what does it mean that trauma isn't what happens to us, but what happens inside of us? And I think that will lead us uh, to some really practical pieces for people that have struggled with anxiety in their life. Absolutely. I think, you know, I think that it's a natural human condition for us to compare to other people. But when it comes to trauma, that is one of the most painful things that we can do. Because what is traumatic to one person is traumatic, traumatic to one person, right? Uh, and it because it ties into the neuropathways that already exist in our brain and body, right? So our trigger is going to be dependent on who we are, on our past pain, on our stories that we carry about ourselves, whether positive or negative, and how those stories either support us in something really challenging that happens or harm us in something challenging that happens. And what I mean by harm is any time there is shame or a feeling of aloneness, any potentially traumatic event that we experience is going to hurt more. So if we feel like we can't share something that happened, either that the people around us will judge us or reject us or not create a feeling of safety in those very tender, vulnerable spots, or if we are physically alone or feel emotionally alone to deal with it, it, it creates a different sense of intensity internally. And so coming back to the, the tribe, coming back to our home, coming back to that place of safety, then feels like it's on the other side of a wall, right? And we're kind of stuck in that shame spiral in that commonly, I should have done something different if I would have done this, then this would not have happened. I should have been more prepared. And so, oh, and I mean, have you been, I mean, I've been there. I've been in that space of, even when it's a difficult emotion, but we, we, we want to shut ourselves out from, even ourselves out from the process of that. And then we are separate from other people who could love and support us through these difficult things. So it's the trauma is its own, like, it's completely dependent on the self. For some person, a car accident is like, eh, blow it off. For another person, a car accident is triggering feelings of feeling completely out of control and nothing is ever going to be okay again, bringing up issues around death and mor mortality, bringing up issues of other people could leave at any moment. So we can't, we can't, 
we can't compare ourselves to others because other people have an, their own internal dialogue that is supporting, denying, or um, helping to heal something painful that happens. So it's each very dependent upon the internal self. Yeah. Yeah. And and so the recognizing that that each of us has our own kind of vehicle and lens through which we experience circumstance and then the, the situations of life. Um, and, and then to kind of track that to, okay, if, if I'm having my own personal experience based on my system, which which likely has some unresolved trauma, maybe there's a handful of people in the world that, that aren't. Oh my God, I pray. I hope that that exists, right? <laughs> but it's extremely, it's extremely rare. But 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 if we're bringing that that awareness, okay, I'm bringing my my lens, my vehicle to the table here. What support does that have for us? Just knowing that that what I'm experiencing is is a subjective piece. It's it's not that it's completely divorced from reality, but it's likely not an accurate interpretation of reality. How does that support us in in maybe holding our pieces uh, more lovingly, holding our pieces in a way that supports more healing? I think, well, I think that we could use that same language to self-deny, right? We can use that same language to say, well, since it's not real, then it doesn't matter, right? That's the avoidant piece. Mm. Or since I can't do anything about it, then I might as well just not look at it. Or since trauma is normalized in our world these days and we're having conversations about it, everybody has, it's not a big deal. Mm. I would argue that that's not true. (laughs) Uh, most of the time, sometimes it probably is true. Uh, but most of the time, if we're feeling triggered to the degree to have these conversations with self, I think that we can use it as a form of self-compassion. So if we say, okay, everyone does struggle in life, and this is something that I am actually really struggling with right now, and taking a moment to be with that pain, and even reaching out for help when we feel like the pain is too much, because we think that that's something in our society that's actually a very important thing to say. You know, we have a self-help industry that says, if you buy this book and read it, you're going to be better. And sometimes that's true, but there are places within us that need connection. They need to feel understood by another person. They need to learn how to love you know, that that's that's vital. So I think in answer to your question, we can use it in a positive way to create self-compassion, to create self self-understanding, to sit with our pain and to assess from that place whether or not we need to reach out for help and learn through it in a different way. Is that does that answer the question? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think what, what I want to get into in this conversation is you know, helping people that are that are currently feeling like life is too much, like there's this constant sense of of anxiety and tension and dread, um, and and seemingly no escape, seemingly no clear path forward. How do we begin building a path? So if if, if we're someone who carries anxiety in that way, and you know maybe we we haven't given up yet, right? Otherwise, maybe you wouldn't be listening to this podcast <laughs> if we will give up. you're here. Good job. You haven't given up yet. Yeah, but there's now what there's a now what question that I think a lot of people struggle with, where they might be aware that, okay, I, I've heard that I can heal this trauma. I'm he- I've heard that I can like transmute and transform my anxiety, but 
how do I do that? So like, how do we get, get to where the rubber hits the road around that journey? Sure. I think there are like a million answers to this. And sometimes my brain like goes to Venn diagram to like all of these options. So let me let me let me break down, I think, a few pieces that are important. So um, one science backs exercise. So <laughs> that is an important one. So we can come back to that. Second, I'm a practitioner, so I support doing work in a dual attunement frame, which means that we learn how to love ourselves in the places where we feel unlovable. That's super important. I, you know, there, I am an extremely, this comes from personal experience. I am an extremely resourced person. I meditate. I've done Kundalini yoga every day, almost since 2008. I am a go-getter. I've studied intuition since I was 23. I've I do energy healing. I'm trained in multiple modalities. I brain spot myself. I uh, fell into brain spotting because I feel like it it incorporates these uh, this this meditative quality that we all inherently have. If we have enough support, we're able to look directly at the pain in a supported frame, which allows us to move through it as opposed to turn away from it. And that, I think, is an element of healing that is deeply underrated. The other element is that we have to feel safe enough to do that. And that's where working with a practitioner comes in. And that's like, I've had to learn that the hard way over again, because I'm like, I'm so resourced. I got this, you know, and it's like, but sometimes we need like we need people like who are trained to can and who can call us on our stuff. I was going to use another word where they, they who can call us on our stuff, you know, and help us to like find the patterns that are going to help us through. So and then, OK, also, so heading back to the exercise resource, you know, if you're dealing with generalized anxiety, science says and you can refer to one of the books that I love to reference as far as the stress response is Emily Nagoski and Nagoski's Come As You Are. She's a sex educator. She's brilliant. But she talks about a lot about the stress response cycle. Um, and exercise really does help to to create a little bit more balance in the body and have, you know, create more endorphins. So if you're really wanting to do it on your own path, you know, you can you can do exercise. Meditation works. Um, and many of my clients who have severe anxiety try meditation and it's extremely triggering to them because it triggers their aloneness. And so it can be things like if you don't feel comfortable meditating and you really want to just find ways to cope, you know, we can do other things like taking walks in nature. We can do other things like connecting to um, the truth of who we are, you know, which we do through brain spotting as well and link it to the unconscious mind, but connect to the truth of, we, of who we are that is on the positive side and focus on those things. I think books that come to mind are hardwiring happiness and, um, there are different mindfulness te- mindfulness techniques that do work. But what I think is really messed up is that I think promoted in capitalism is the idea that those should work for everybody and they just freaking don't. Mm-hmm. And there's a reason for that. And so if you feel stuck, it's probably not your fault. You just need the right help. So I, I feel very passionately about this, obviously. So. Um, does that help kind of, I, I, I kind of touched on multiple then bubbles that were popping in my head, but how, how are we yeah, doing it? It totally does. 
and and I like I want to add a piece. It's it's not really a pushback, but it's it's a kind of devil's advocate that I think inspires our conversation to be more practical to people. And Great. That is the, um, you know, you mentioned uh, people coming to meditation and actually being quite uh, uh, uncomfortable. Even some people might describe as a re-traumatizing experience. They're like yes. being with, being more deeply with the very things that they had been avoiding. Maybe some of the things that are the root of their anxiety. And so I think there's there's practical ways to come at uh, ways of being with ourselves and our emotions that are kind of progressive, so that we're not we're not stepping into the belly of the beast uh, right away. We're kind of working our way up to that, which I think is is relevant in many ways. What I think is also relevant is that a recontextualization is required for us if we've struggled with anxiety and trauma for most of our lives, and we want to be free of 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 the limiting aspects of trauma. Part of the journey is going to be facing and feeling more of what we haven't faced and felt. Yes. And and so, you know, the only way to do that is to make sense of the pain versus try to mitigate the pain. And so I, I think my approach and, and I think yours as well is like to do both. It is relevant for me to know where someone I'm working with is at and to again not push them past their yes, their their inner yes of like, yeah, this is the time is right for me to face and work with this piece. So there's the practical, how do we manage and progressively walk someone along a journey where at some point they are ready to go into the deepest, darkest cave and, and they can show up for that. But also, how do we create um, kind of new agreements within someone where they go, oh, I actually know that part of this road for me, part of this healing journey for me is to to recognize how how resilient and powerful I am. And I Absolutely. am able to begin to let in and feel more of the things that have been difficult in my life. So how do you approach that? I think on both sides, the, the practical walking someone progressively along a path of growth and healing and helping someone maybe more on a, a spiritual or contextual side. How do we recontextualize pain so that we're willing to face it more more fully? Yeah, that so really, I, I think what it comes down to with much of the work that I do is dropping into or helping them develop a sense of self-trust, which they naturally do through the process, right? So we are looking at the pain points, of course, and we're also looking at the internal resource points. So um, the truth of who someone is, what gifts they naturally offer, how they can support themselves within their deepest pain. Even if we're not jumping directly into the deep end, we're starting at places where their mind is willing to go as we're developing a relationship and as they're developing their trust relationship with themselves. So they're learning how they can be strong for themselves while they're um, dealing with some of the, the harder um, aspects harder feelings, harder belief systems and stories that are also running. Um, so I think that both things are really important. Um, and I think, so yes, I think that naturally the client gets more comfortable meeting those difficult spaces over time by trusting themselves more within the process. I think one of the things that I see the most in anxiety is a loss of self-trust because we feel like our body's betraying us all the time and we feel like we need to mask, especially if there is significant trauma in the outside world so that people don't know that we're freaking out in that moment or 
in order for them to not know that we're freaking out so that we can come back to self and assess whether or not that trigger was real or, you know, and I think those are more in acute situations, but certainly that sense of masking in order to be loved, accepted, you know, included, feeling a sense of belonging is something that a lot of us inherently do anyway in life. And when we struggle with anxiety, those things can kind of get interwoven. So recovering a sense of self-trust is vital. And that can look like a lot of different things to a lot of different people. So, you know, I, I mentioned exercise. Maybe that's doing yoga. Maybe that's just coming, whatever is important or whatever connects a human into their inherent goodness, their inherent resource, their inherent parts of themselves that are true to them, you know, and good, true and good. Those are those are key elements to creating the backbone to stand strong when we're meeting the parts of ourselves that are very challenging or the beliefs mm. or the feelings. Yeah, it makes it makes me think of I, I don't remember the video. I, I'm going to say the name that comes to me. I hope I hope it gets people to the right thing. But if you went to a, uh, a like YouTube or some some kind of video platform and you searched the other 23 and a half hours, uh, there was a video I watched. This was years ago, but I'm sure it's still out there. And it's talking about one one intervention, one treatment that has the power to do like then then they list off like all of these mental health challenges all of these physical health challenges um that 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 it like increases well-being by this and it decreases depression and anxiety by that and decreases your likelihood of of obesity and 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 diabetes and just like endless 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 things uh, that are a benefit to this 30 minute a day treatment um a treatment that if you could if you could put it in a pill, the pharmaceutical companies would be falling all over themselves to to deliver oh to the God, public. Standing up, because that sounds amazing. <laughs> Look, and and so then so then they they basically they lay out all of the results of this treatment, and people are I'm leaning in. Everyone I think that watches the video is like, oh, what is it? Like it must be something really magical or some kind of space age technology. The treatment is walking for thirty minutes a day. Yeah, just walking for thirty minutes a day has these benefits. And then the reason I bring that story forward is that I think for for those of us that have really challenging things that we're carrying with us, it can feel overwhelming and insurmountable. Like there's just no way to address it. And and I think most people that have that kind of weight that they're carrying have tried things. But I think what what often gets in our way is that we've tried things and they haven't worked as well or as quickly as we hoped. But that if we can just distill like even a handful of very simple accessible things that we know give kind of maximum ROI, right? In terms of what you get back from investing in these things is just maximized. Uh, I think that if people did that, they took two or three things to start at least and just said, I'm going to do these three things. I'm going to do them for a, an extended period of time and just trust that the goodness of these simple things is enough to begin bringing about change in me. And so, you know, I, I believe exercise, it's just so clear. Yeah. The mind and body are not separate things, right? They, they are no. highly and, interactive. Sorry, I am very, I, I'm 100% in alignment with that. And research is, it's behind you 100%. It's just there. Like exercise helps. Exercise helps a lot. Yeah. 
Yeah, and and I would actually uh, I would sort of speak to a dimension around exercise that I think is not obvious on first glance. And I, after I say this, I think hopefully it will be obvious to you. So there's there's the physical result and the biological and neurological and hormonal result of exercising, which are all incredibly beneficial. But what's also really neat about exercise is that you talked about self-trust. And, and when we have ideas that exercise is good for us, but we don't exercise, in a way, we're teaching ourselves that we're not trustworthy. There's this thing that we know would be really good to do and we're not doing it. And so without this needing to have anything to do with feeling bad about ourselves or guilty or pointing fingers or feeling shame, it's like when you know that something is good and you follow through on that good thing, something has to shift in you for that new choice to come through. Like if, if exercise hasn't been a consistent thing for you and you begin to do it consistently, you had to shift to bring that new lifestyle piece into play. And that shift to me is, that's what's at the heart of our healing and transformation is like, Something in us that chooses to be with the normal, the, the the familiar, the the conditioned differently, so something genuinely new can happen. So there's the to me the physical result of exercising, but there's also the precursor to engaging the exercise is us choosing to be with life differently. And as we choose that exercise, we are devel- we're developing trust of ourselves. Like oh. I can trust to do this thing that I know is good and now the benefits come and I'm creating a whole new relationship around self-trust with myself. Absolutely. I, I agree with you in in the piece of, I, I think that it can be exercise, which of course has measurable benefits in many different realms, like emotional, physical, mental, all of those things. And we can develop self-trust in other ways as well. And I think that what I'm hearing you say is the commitment and then the following through on the other side of that builds a sense of self-trust. So even if you're not in a state where you can exercise, um, well, actually, uh, you know, we can we can do a lot of different things in order to continue to build self-trust. I would also... I also, I have to speak to this piece because it's so important to me being a recovering perfectionist and the shutdown that is inherent with significant anxiety that, and the, also the inherent self-sabotage that can be there also. If we name it self-sabotage, we name it mindset, but often it's the body sort of running these different stories and having to work extra hard against these different stories in order to make things happen. And so I think that I want to just extend a level of compassion because I think that if it doesn't feel like you can follow through and you've really put significant effort out, there might be something else going on that needs to be addressed at a deeper level. I see this a lot with my sexual assault clients. I see this a lot with any kind of body assaults or safety issues. So I, you know, yes, it's true that these things help, but for my my people who are in that debilitating self-doubt, who can't seem to get it together in order to make it happen, it might not be something wrong with you. It might just be your pain is speaking a little bit loudly. And that's causing the shutdown. So I, 
I, I always want to edge towards the side of compassion and inclusion for my people because while, yes, there is a time to push through, while, yes, there is a time to commit to something and see how it goes and continue meeting it with compassion until we build the self-trust, if we are using these attempts at self-trust in order to undermine our self-authority, our self-compassion, because we failed, we really need to, to bring that to the table when, when people are struggling with anxiety because I think it's a really important piece. Mm. There might be a deeper part of you speaking. Yeah. And so how do you work with that? The, like that, that idea of, um, and, and for many people, it's highly practiced, right? It's, it feels quite <laughs> reflexive to them to, to make themselves wrong, to, to, to get into a, a whole judgment of self, like I'm not good enough, it's not going to work, I'll, I'll never figure it out. These are narratives that I mean, most people are familiar with, but for, for those of us that are carrying heavy trauma or lots of anxiety, lots of perfectionism, um, it's, it's basically a guarantee that that voice is going to be there, as you engage, especially as you engage something new. So how do we more effectively address the perfectionist mind and, and the judgmental mind so that there's more room for us to just see what's next, what's the rightful next thing for me along my journey? Yeah, absolutely. So I think that... Um... One, we want to look at the guilt that happens. Uh, we want to look at guilt because guilt often comes when we're doing something new or different or feel a little bit insecure about. And it's a self-shutting down mechanism at a certain point for my people, right? So we were talking about somebody who's on the, the less empathetic or narcissistic personality type spectrum on the other side. We, we, would have to be, we would have a different conversation about guilt because guilt has a very important place in society. It helps us to be productive members of society. Um, empaths you use guilt differently. Um, hypersensitive, highly sensitive people use guilt differently. This this perfectionism aspect, um, and we often use it as as a self protection technique to shut ourselves down. Um, so if you're feeling guilt, I would say, are you? Ask the question: Am I hurting anybody by doing this? If the answer is at least a fifty one percent no, just go ahead and do it and try it and see what happens. Just see what's on the other side of it because you can adjust and you know how to take responsibility. It'll be okay. But just do it as a try, as a, as a state of curiosity in order to move through just to see what happens. So that's the first thing. The second thing is if self-doubt is truly debilitating, which it is for almost all of my clients, we get to this point where we are looking at this. We may look at it from many different angles, but this is this is something that we experience in life, right? So it comes to a place of being with, the shame. There's two aspects of this. One, we be with, we are with and sit with the very difficult emotion and make space for it. And don't try to change it right away. We allow it to sort of air out, to be known, to be respected, to see what's there. And we do this in a very contained frame. And we may do this many, many times for different issues. But that's the key, number one. Two, we bring in the truth parts of the self in order to help support it. So I know that I sound like I'm on repeat here, but this is really like what it's about, right? We sit with the difficulty in a very contained and safe frame. And then as what's needed opens up, we find the parts of self that can support that need. And what this does is it starts to, I have a client who... So wonderful. Um, 
she described her shame as a well, being at the bottom of a well, and she feels like she's stuck in there, and anxiety attack, which then triggers shutdown, which then triggers suicidal depression. Okay, so this is a common thing that happens, because it can happen for people. So in doing this process, though, she's found, she calls it her step out. Right. So it's like, instead of being stuck in the well, she now can resource, she can self-resource in these moments. And that doesn't go away. She always has that step to step out because she knows herself differently. And that's the kind of transformation we're talking about. This is not band-aid transformation. This is not like, this is not like, read this book and you'll feel better for five minutes. And then you're going to feel guilty because you didn't do all of the steps in there. And so obviously you're still unhappy and it's still your fault. It's like, no, this is like, let's find the solutions internally. Let's take the time. Let's meet it powerfully while you feel safe and contained and, and move through it, right? Let's complete that emotional cycle that's running. And it doesn't mean that we don't have guilt. It doesn't mean that we don't have anxiety. Those are healthy, normal responses to stress and to stressful situations. But it's that we reframe it so we can use it differently in the moment, right? We can we can come back to emotional regulation faster. Um, and we're not in we're not stuck in those emotions, embedded in those emotions for as long. And that's where we know that's when we know that the healing is is working. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so for someone, again, anxiety was a, a primary focus for us today. For someone that's working with anxiety, the, they are on the path. They know they want to do the healing. Um, they, they found some things that are working, some things that are not working. What, what would you say if you were going to give someone like a tool belt of here are some things to, to kind of be your, 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 your pillars of your journey around he, uh, healing this anxiety? Like I hear you talking about reframing. I know we haven't really got into brain spotting yet. Um, exercise is a piece. Do you have a toolkit that you think like these are the things that I think people should be? Of course, there's lots of things to include, but in terms of things you think people should oh focus on as a as a central I'm piece. Truly, I'm a terrible coach in this department because nothing is mm-hmm. prepackaged. I literally meet each client as is needed, and I meet mm-hmm. their pain as is needed. So I like you probably are better equipped at. Like I don't do packages because I want to meet them with their language in order to like shovel through and like get to the stuff, right? So, and so I'm kind of terrible in that way as far as like most coaches, like I don't have any programs. I like do, I, I do individual work, you know? I So I really think that it comes down. I think the broader strokes here are notice your guilt. Notice your guilt. Notice when it comes up. Are you doing something new? You're doing something different or you're doing something that you're unsure about. Play with that. See if there's wiggle room there. Because if we can reframe guilt, we can reframe a lot of misused energy in our body, right? Um, If you can't do it alone, it's not your fault. (laughs) Let's take that stigma away right now. If you're struggling, like there are people who are trained to help you and who would love to help you move through it. Uh, You know, I, I think that that's like my deep heart is like, babe, if you feel alone, let's work on this. Like, let's move. Let's do this. You know, let's make you feel safe enough to go there. Right. That's where my heart is. So guilt, um, exercise is helpful. Um, Any kind of strong attunement frame. So when we talk about having therapeutic relationship, we are talking about creating a space where we feel safe and contained and have belonging in our deepest places. So if that's not working with in a therapeutic relationship, that's okay. 
But having those safe spaces, I think, in dealing with any of our dark, our dark, heavy, difficult emotions uh, are, are really, I'm sorry, I don't know why I use the word dark. That's actually not the word that I wanted to use there. But anytime that we're dealing with the difficult or challenging stories that we have running inside, having that very safe frame there is, is going to be really important for healing. Mm-hmm. Well, what would you add? What would you put in on the tool, tool belt? I feel like you, you have some pretty strong skills here. So yeah, I mean, I, I love the last piece you just shared, you know, in, in a lot of the trainings and workshops that I've done, I like to talk about how do we create a space where we, we, we feel safe to feel unsafe. So in other words, we're, re- we're recognizing that there's, there's the experience that occurs in, in our system. And then there's the kind of container within which that experience takes place. And, and I think we can create that, what I might call a meta frame for my experience that has more room for the experience. Because if my meta frame is really small and the experience gets to the kind of outer reaches of that frame, I, I have kind of an inbuilt sense of like shutting down, like, no, that's too much. Yes. Whereas if I build a bigger frame, now that, that experiential frame can actually expand into whatever space is needed for it to be expressed. And I think that's where especially something like anxiety gets tough. If we have, if the meta frame is too small, it forces that energy and the information and the real calling that the experience is, is putting forward, it forces it back on itself. It becomes a recurring kind of recycling loop and it doesn't get to be fully expressed in a way that, that, that allows it to dissipate. You know, and that's really what everything I've experienced in terms of anxiety is that it's, it's brilliant information. It's bringing something we need but it needs to have enough room to, to fully move through our system and that the system is built to dissipate that. So, so to me, how do we create a framing where the big experiences of, of anxiety and fear are free to be there and for us to somehow know that, that we're safe in that more, more broadly? We won't, won't necessarily feel safe because that, the experience of, of fear is really not feeling safe. But yes. like a young child who's afraid, that the loving parent can create a space for that child to feel afraid and know that beyond that feeling of fear, they're held, they're loved, that someone is there attuned to and, and responding to their needs. And, and so the real beauty of the healing journey is when we finally realize that we can play that role for ourselves. Absolutely. So to me, that's like at the heart of it, that's, that's really important. And then whatever tools we populate in terms of what to do those are great, but but if that if the reframing if that meta frame isn't there, um, I think we're we're still kind of locked in a in a confinement that doesn't allow the underlying trauma to really be felt and healed. Beautiful. And so when you use the word meta frame, I hear things like um, expanding our view of the situation so that we have our observer self also watching the part that's in reaction or in trigger or in emotions in that moment so that they're so we're able to have we're able to both hold that self-compassion frame surrounding the body that is larger than the internal feeling that feels like it's taking all the space in our internal living room is is that kind of what i'm hearing and then the negotiation between those two points is the space of healing, yes? Yeah, the interaction between those two. And, and, and like it's perfect because I'll just bring us back to what, what I spoke about in terms of uh, Gabor Mate. So, you know, every human being has a true, genuine, authentic self and their trauma is the disconnection from it. 
And so to me, what he's speaking there is that there is something innate, inherent in us that is authentic and true. And the trauma doesn't get rid of that. It just creates a kind of dissociation or disconnection from it. And what allows us to heal the trauma, the thing that is operating in our system as a result of what happened to us, we, we bring that authentic self. We bring that loving, compassionate container to the hurt pieces of us. And it is the interaction between our authentic, loving self that is always there and the disconnected parts of us that, that facilitates the healing process. Beautiful. Yes. Yes. So we're, we're getting close to the end of our conversation. Is there anything you want to say about uh, your work or maybe brain spotting in particular that, that kind of can hold uh, a supportive, a supportive uh, kind of navigation for people in, in engaging these pieces of themselves? You know, Dolphin, the first thing as you started asking, it was like, what don't I want to say about brain spotting? I love it so much. <laughs> um, and honing in, the brain spotting is, is a practice that we can do that where we access the midbrain, which is at the top of the brain stem. So if we're going to look at the brain, uh, we have the, the prefrontal cortex here. So the top layer, right? We have the neocortex, prefrontal cortex. Then underneath that, so if we were looking at a hand, neocort uh, prefrontal cortex, neocortex, anything on the top. And then underneath we have the limbic system, which is responsible for our emotional selves. Uh, in uh, past times, it would be called like the mammalian self there, right, too. And then at the then we have the brainstem that comes down, which has to do with our unconscious mind. Uh, and at the top of the brainstem, we have something called uh, the midbrain. And the midbrain is responsible for our, all of our sensory processing except for smell, which goes directly to the amygdala. The amygdala is sort of the accountant of our fear-based response and uh, navigating fear in external reality. So it's taking in and assessing whether or not we should freak out uh, in relationship to what just happened, right? That's what the amygdala does. It assesses information and it sends impulses to the rest of the body, letting us know whether it's okay to still be in a restful state or whether it's time to really be in a reactive state uh, in order to keep ourselves safe. So um, a part of that system, we, we access the midbrain through brain spotting and we do that through the visual field. And we also do that through sound. So we use bilateral sound in order to access the second of three layers of the midbrain. Technically, there's nine layers, but they group them together in three parts. So um, the top layer is the visual field. The second layer is the um, is auditory. And the third layer is proprioception. So that has to do with how our body feels in space. So anytime we are going in with brain spotting and someone gets really, really hot or really cold or starts kind of like shaking or sometimes they'll toot a little bit or um, burp or have different bodily sensations. That's like a bingo. Yes. Like this is what we want because that's the body releasing it at a really deep level. That's our, it's sort of our interface with the, un, with the unconscious processes, how I like to describe it. So basically what we do with brain spotting is we talk about the story, right? We talk about the neocortical aspect of the story. This is what I'm telling myself. This is the belief system. This is what I think is going on. We talk about the emotions. So we hit the limbic system and then mammalian brain we talk about the emotions that are getting stirred up in that moment. And then we talk about the feeling sensation of the body, which of course has to do with the unconscious or the subconscious, 
the brainstem unconscious subconscious experience, right? So we're tying all of those things together in a process. And then what we're doing is in brain spotting, where we look affects how we feel. So we already have the bilateral sound going, which helps us to wrap in a little bit deeper. Then I use my wand and we go in and we say, all right, the sensation, do you feel it more here, here, and here? And of course, I'm on full screen. So obviously there's not much of a difference between here and here. But when I work with clients, what we'll notice is that um, whatever sensation we're tapping into in the body is going to feel stronger depending on where we're looking. And so then we go into kind of a meditative state and we allow the body to self-resource from that place. So we're meeting very directly the emotions that are coming through. And of course, the brain is going to self-protect. So it's only going to allow through what, what it's ready to allow through in that moment. So we can trust the body in the state. And then if we need help, uh, you know, I have some really helpful tools that stop panic attacks. So uh, this process is very different than other therapeutic processes. We're not trying to turn down the volume. We're actually raising the volume. We're meeting it. We're giving you any support that you need in order to meet it effectively and respectfully. And then uh, we're letting the brain do what it naturally wants to do, which is come back to a state of regulation. Um, so this is a somatic, it's considered a somatic process because it involves the physical body and releasing from that deep body place. So we're checking in and checking in on the body and how the body sensations are changing, checking on the emotions, how the emotions are changing. So that's the process of, of brain spotting. Um, and I just find it to be the, the most effective technique that I've used or that I've been trained in in order to that's very accessible to people outside of like very deep, long meditation. It's not in everyone's wheelhouse. Uh, I feel like this is a very approachable way to deal with these these difficult belief systems and, and challenging things. So um, we typically find that there's a significant SEDS reduction, significant reduction in um, the strength of the experience by the end of session. And uh, we kind of meet different aspects of the personality. So Typically, my relationships with clients last anywhere from six months to years. And I, because I like to do the really deep work, though sometimes people will come in and say, hey, I'm recovering from a narcissistic abusive, abusive relationship. These are my very specific goals. And, you know, it's it's kind of clear and they don't want to do the like super deep dive. They just want to deal with the immediate trauma that just happened. So I think there's different ways to use this. I typically prefer it for developmental trauma because... I like to meet people in those places, but um, yeah. So does that help to answer? Yeah. What question yeah, for you there? Well, well, I, I, I wanted to kind of weave it back. Something you said earlier in the conversation, you you talked about kind of completing the emotional cycle. And yeah. I hear you speaking about in the brain spotting processes, you're, you're actually bringing people into a, a kind of multidimensional recognition and experience of their trauma, right? So you're bringing the mind and the body and emotions to the point of experience of that trauma and you're supporting them in in coming back to a steady state equilibrium, which which completes the emotional cycle on a somatic level, but it also, this is the beauty I think of the the kind of the real journey of healing is that each time we complete that cycle, what we're essentially doing is we're sending a message to the nervous system and to ourselves that when we get dysregulated in that way, it's okay. Yes, we're dysregulated mm -hmm. and we're actually, we know that the, the ultimate trajectory of this experience is back to steady state. 
which is what we didn't experience when we were young, which is why so much of this trauma is still in our system because it didn't get a chance to consistently complete that dysregulation cycle, which, which amazingly, amazingly, is like when we look at attachment, there's something called the, the healthy attachment cycle, which is the, the child has a need, they become dysregulated, a, a loving, responsive caregiver meets that need, the child gets regulated again. That's a healthy attachment cycle. When that attachment cycle doesn't complete on a regular basis, what the child begins to learn is that when I get dysregulated, no one's coming to help. And then, and then yeah. we create all sorts of core beliefs around what it means that no one's coming to help us. So I'm just kind of connecting dots around what you shared and oh, my this one. Thank you. I love it. Keep going if you I keep going. I <laughs> I know I know we're kind of we're reaching our time, but um I was just enjoying how, how things wove today and yeah. and I think, you know, a couple of things to leave us with, like anything else you'd like to share with people that, that came in the door today looking for support around their anxiety and their healing. And then for sure if people want more of, of Jessica, where do they find you? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So my first and uh, my first message is you're doing a good job. Like there are probably reasons why you feel uncomfortable right now. In fact, I that's there's reasons why you feel uncomfortable right now. So let me just reflect that to you. And they're real and you're doing a good job maybe yet. I think that we don't give ourselves enough credit often for the amount of showing up we do in life. So I think that's really important. It's important to, I want to acknowledge you. I want to acknowledge myself. I want to acknowledge you. We're all showing up and that's a really big deal. Um, it's very underrated in our society. I really do believe that. So if you are curious about connecting with me in a larger way, as far as becoming a client or exploring what I do or learning more, I do offer free consultations. You can reach me on my website, which is just my name.com, Jessica Osterday, O-S-T-E-R-D-A-Y.com. There's a really easy form you can fill out there and um, see if it's a good fit for you. I think, uh, God, I, I know how much brain spotting and like diving in to the intensity of this work has changed my life. So I just always want to encourage, you know, if it's not with me, please, if you feel like you need help, please reach out to someone. I, um, I think it's really a powerful choice to make. Awesome. Well, Jessica, thank you so much for your time. It's an honor to, to speak with you. It's an honor to have you on the RelationFlix platform. Uh, I trust and hope that we get to keep kind of playing in, in the sandbox and, and interacting uh, professionally. And uh, I just wish you all the best. Thank you again for taking the time today. Oh, thank you so much. It's an honor. It's an honor to be a part of RelationFlix. I love what you guys are doing. It's pretty cool. Thank you. And for those that joined, thank you for your time and we look forward to seeing you again soon. Thank you so much for being here. You've been listening to the Better Relationship Podcast brought to you by RelationFlix. Please subscribe to the podcast and you can go and check us out at relationflix.com. We look forward to sharing so much more with you. And until next time, my friends, love well. <laughs>